0: You know, one of the many things that uh, I've come to appreciate in my time spent working with professional athletes is the uh, sense of confidence that is uh, exhibited by all who reach such a level. Uh, The object of their confidence, uh, whether it's their self-abilities or their equipment or their teammates or coaches, um, you know, those things may vary. But all have learned to use whatever edge they think they may have to their advantage. And uh, it reminds me of an encounter that took place recently between Stevie Wonder, the uh, singer, and Jack Nicholas, the golfer. They ran into each other in a, an awards banquet. And as they were sitting there, Jack Nicholas turned to Stevie Wonder and he said, uh, You know, how's the singing career going? Stevie Wonder said, Not bad. Uh, you know, latest album's gone to the top ten. So all in all, I think it's pretty good. By the way, how's golf going in your life? Nicholas replied, Well, that's not too bad either, but I'm not winning as much as I used to. I'm still making a little bit of money. I have some problems with my swing. But I think I've got things down right now. Stephen Wonder looked at him and, said, and he said, you know, when I'm having trouble with my swing, I usually take a little bit of time off. You know, take a few weeks off, kind of regroup and go back at it, and I find that it really helps. Now, Nicholas is thinking, he says, but what, you, you golf? And Stephen Wonder said, sure, I golf, why? He goes, but don't, you know, don't take this wrong, but you're blind. I mean, how, how can you golf when you're blind? And Stevie Wonder said, well, it's really easy. You know, I, I learned to do it a while ago, but what I do is I send my caddy down to the middle of the fairway. And I just have him yell his name, and, and I'll hit the ball toward his voice. Then when I get back to the ball, to get down the ball, I send him up ahead, either to green or further down the fairway. He yells his name again, and I hit toward his voice. He goes, well, but Nicholas says, but what do you do when you putt? He goes, well, once I reach the green, then I have him go by the hole and he lays down, puts his face on the ground and kind of just yells down toward where the hole is and I just follow his voice and, you know, and I just follow it in and, and putt it. He goes, you're kidding. He said, what, well, what kind of handicap you have? He said, well, you know, I'm a scratch golfer. I shoot even par. Nicholas is incredulous. He can't believe it. It's like, you shoot, seven, you shoot a 72? And Wonder goes, yeah. Nicholas goes, you know what, I've got to go out golfing with you sometime." And Stevie Wonder said, but you know what? You know, I find that no one really takes me serious. So the only time I go golfing is if I go and play for money. Nicholas said, that's fine. I'll go and play you for money. I mean, well, how much do you play for? He said, 100000 a hole. He said, $100,000 a hole? And Nicholas is like, well, you know what? That's pretty easy money right there. So they shake, and he goes to Stevie Wonder and says, hey, when do you want to go play? Stevie goes, any night next week would be great with me. The world is drawn to those who exude confidence. In fact, such boldness often results in legends, tales or legends. Perhaps you've heard the legend of Babe Ruth, who supposedly stood at the at home plate with a baseball bat in his hand and he pointed the center field before the next pitch, indicating that the next pitch was going to be hit over the center field wall. Or that of Muhammad Ali, who always uh, would, in rhyme, tell us when he would knock out his next opponent. Or there was Joe Namath, and having grown up in Pennsylvania, and having grown up in the legend of Joe Namath, who, even though his team was a three-touchdown underdog in the 1968 Super Bowl, boldly proclaimed to the press that the New York Jets would beat the then Baltimore Colts. People are drawn to such boldness and confidence. The world marvels at those who are confident in what they believe as I said, the object of their confidence will vary, but there's a certain sense where we're drawn toward those who are bold and confident about what they believe. And in our ongoing study of, the, of Paul's letter to the Romans, we come to a section of Scripture in the first chapter. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to come to a section where Paul indirectly challenges his readers, and us included, to be confident to be bold, to be courageous. And in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 1, we read these words. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of the Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that, of, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far, in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. It says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of Christ is revealed from faith to faith as it is written by the righteous man shall live by faith if you recall in our last meeting together Paul introduced himself to his readers by calling attention to three things we went over these in great detail last time but kind of a quick reminder He said, number one, first of all, he introduces himself by calling attention to his commitment to Jesus Christ. He calls himself a slave to Jesus Christ. He was a self-appointed persecutor of the Christians. He was a man who was uh, hell-bent on destroying Christianity and anyone who followed Jesus Christ. And on the road to Damascus as he was going about rounding up Christians again to take him back to try them he was intercepted on that road by Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9, we read a great detail of what took place in, that, in his life at that time. And the Bible says, according to what happened then, that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, for our, our information, uh, that Paul was born again. The Bible says in John 3 that there, unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And so Saul of Tarsus became a new creature in Christ. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. He was a man who was on a mission to destroy Christ and Christianity and any any semblance of anyone who followed him to now where he saw Jesus face to face. He had heard of him, as many of us do. We hear of him, but there's a point where we must come to know him. Paul came to know him personally. And at that particular point, his mission changed radically. And no longer was he uh, to destroy those who follow Christ, but he would become one of us who now follow Jesus Christ and he he considered himself a slave having voluntarily placed himself in in the servanthood of Jesus Christ for the rest of his life as those in Rome would read this letter they would identify with one who was a slave as there were sixty million slaves in the city at that time every one of them wanting to be free and yet here Paul says I deliberately and voluntarily place myself in the service of Jesus Christ I have become his bondservant the lowest of all servants to do whatever it is that he asked me to do so he, he identifies with them in that way, and I'm sure that they gain some interest in their, li- in their ears too. It's like, whoa, oh, what's all this about? Someone who wants to be a slave? What kind of master must he have that he wants to be a slave and not free? He goes on and identifies his calling. He says he's an apostle. He was chosen by God. It wasn't his idea. As he, was, as he was riding the road to Damascus, it wasn't his idea, his life ambition, his goal to one day be an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who was on a mission to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Christ did on the cross for, for, for the, those at that time and us today. It wasn't his desire to do that. It was, it was the furthest thing from his mind. He was going to destroy him, and now all of a sudden he's called not only to be a follower of Christ, but now to tell other people what it would take for them to have a right relationship with God. He was now an apostle. He was a preacher of the gospel. He was a preacher of the word of God, which is the truth of God. He goes on and explains his concern for them. He wants to go to Rome. He's thankful for their faith, for those who had come to faith in Christ, that they were bold and they were confident and they were sharing their faith with those who God brought into their life. He was thankful for them because he knew that they would pave the way for him to go and also to be able to proclaim the truth. He was grateful. He was thankful. He prayed for them regularly. He also prayed that God would open the door for him to travel to Rome so that he can bring the word of God and preach the truth to them. He prayed for an opportunity to be able to preach the gospel, to proclaim the truth of the word of God. What a wonderful thing that is to have that kind of a heart as a preacher, to pray for opportunities to go into a a new place to open the word of God, the truth of God, the very living word of God that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and not worry about what you're going to say or what you're going to do, but know that you've got the message right here to deliver to those who have never heard it. What a, wonderful, what a wonderful example that is for all of us to recognize and understand that the truth is what makes, what set people free. And the truth, Jesus said it himself, thy word is truth. And it's the truth of God's word that is the only thing that can change the hearts of human beings. And what a wonderful thing, man. He prayed that God would give them an opportunity that he can impart to them the spiritual gift that God's given them. The spiritual gift of teaching the truth of the word of God so that they could be encouraged by the word of God. And as they believed the word and their lives were changed and they began to apply it, then he was encouraged by the truth of the word of God because he saw results in their life. Many of us aren't excited about our faith because we see no life change, not only in our own life because we don't apply the things that we learn, but then when we don't share what God is doing or share the truth of the Word of God, we see no life change in the people around us, and there's nothing to be encouraged about. The Bible says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as a habit of sun, but encouraging each other all the more as we see the day drawing near." The Bible says that if we share the truth of God with one another, when we get together, whether it's small groups or Bible studies or whatever, and what centers around the truth of the word of God, and God's word penetrates our hearts, and we leave there and we're changed because the word of God has, has touched our heart to where we go, what shall I do? Every person who was, who was penetrated, his heart was penetrated by the word of God, either said, what must we do to be saved when they realized they were guilty before God, or what must we now do? There was always application. It wasn't just head knowledge. It wasn't about, wow, how much more can I learn and have it not apply to my life? It's like those who go to counseling or go to seek help, and they're told what they need to do, and they say, but I'm not going to do that. Well, then why go? Who are you fooling? Why come to the Word of God and not be open to what God says? If, it, if something needs to be changed, you need to change. If you need corrected? You need corrected. If you need rebuked, you need rebuked. If you need to be trained to how to live a life that's right with God, then be trained. But once you've learned, then go apply it. And as you see your life change, and as people see your life change, man, you know what? It's infectious. It's contagious. It's exciting. Those who are living a dull Christian life, I will guarantee it's because you're not applying the truth of the Word of God, if you're even in it. And once you're in it, and God talks to you, I'd say apply it. And if you're not applying it, then there's no change that's going to take place. And if you're not reaching people around you and you don't see God changing their life, there's not much excitement going on here, is there? Not in Paul's life, man. (laughs) There was excitement all the time. It was exciting. And the third thing that he wants us to understand as we look at this, he wants us to identify that he is confident. He is confident. And I love that. Because his sense of confidence is what is going to attract people to him. It's been said there's a fine line between being confident and arrogant and I think the fine line is easily established and that is this. When we are confident in ourselves, we can become quite arrogant. When the object of our confidence is someone else, that's a totally different thing. When you hear an athlete interviewed and he says, you know what, I'm confident that our team can win because it's not just about me, but it's about our whole structure. It's about our whole organization. It's about not only me as a player, but my teammates and my coaches and the system and the place that we're at in a particular point in time and the competition that we have. I look at the whole picture and I can say that I'm confident. I'm not arrogant. I'm not boastful. I don't think too highly of myself than I should, but I'm confident because of the system that's in place. See, the Apostle Paul said, I want you to know something, and that is that I'm very confident, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel he's going to lay out four reasons for his confidence and four reasons that we should be confident but before we do that we need to ask ourselves the question why in the world would he have been tempted to be ashamed at all why did he have to say I'm not ashamed of the gospel why did he have to bring it up stop and think about what he was going to share with those in Rome Stop and think about the message he shared with all that God brought into his life. The gospel was identified with a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. Think about that. The object of his confidence was a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. You know, it was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen that's how disgraceful and shameful crucifixion was Paul was going to tell them the object of his confidence is a Jewish carpenter who was crucified think about that it was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen the book of Hebrews as I was preparing this the first thing I thought about was that what and Jesus endured the cross and he despised the shame for the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12. He endured the cross and despised the shame. Could you even imagine what that road to the cross was like? The beatings that he took, the blindfolding, the ridicule, the games that they played with him, when they stripped him of his garments and they threw dice to see who would win. As he was up on the cross, they, they, they uh, ridiculed him and said, Oh, you're the son of God. Oh, yeah. Sure you are. Tell you what, if I was God, I wouldn't let what's happening to you happen to me. You got to be kidding me. Yeah, you're the son of God. One of the thieves on his on one of his side said, Yeah, you're the son of God. Why don't you save yourself, save us too. The other one said, Don't you even know? That you're in the presence of God? See, he endured the, the, the pain and he despised the shame. So you think about that for a second. Crucifixion was not only a horrible death, it was a shameful death. So the question would naturally arise why in the world would anyone put their faith in a Jew who was crucified? Another consideration was that Rome was a proud city. And the gospel came from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of a little tiny nation that Rome had just conquered. Christians in that day were not among the elite of society. They were common people. They were even slaves. And Rome had known great philosophers and great philosophies. They even established great temples to the gods that they had created. And here was Paul coming to Rome to talk about a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified from a little town that was just conquered by this great nation that had no great cathedrals and had no great monuments that were built in his name or as honor. It's amazing when you think about it. Think about this little Jewish tent maker going into the great city of Rome to share that message. It's almost humorous. And so there were some who had came to know Christ. There were those who had heard the gospel preached. And as soon as they came across little confrontation some persecution, some ridicule, they started to doubt what they believed. Gee, who can't relate to that? I don't know, my life has changed. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I came to be aware that, you know what, I, I am a sinner. That I'm not perfect, that I don't meet God's standards. I came to believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and three days later he rose from the dead and I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And the first person you share that with, they start to ask you a million questions about uh, creation and evolution. And, you know, and stuff that you don't have any clue you, that you even understand or know anything about. I love one of the first, one of the first uh, professional athlete conferences that Linda and I went to. There was a, um, a meeting, it was a follow-up of a night before where a gospel was presented and many people had given their lives to Christ. And one of the guys in our small group was there. And he started to share, he goes, you know, and they were going around the room just talking about their backgrounds what had happened. And this guy goes, man, you know what, he goes, I gave my life to Christ last night. Everyone was man, that's great. Good for you. And he goes, I just want to tell you something. I don't know how else to express it, but I'm just happier than hell to be here today. Now, I don't know about you, man, but I was excited. It's like, that's great. I'll tell you what, you know, and I've come to know him since, and there has been a long time, and God's done a work in his life. But that's the only way he knew how to express it. You know, and so many of us as Christians for a while, the first thing it would do is get hung up on the fact you said I'm happier in hell to be here and would tell him, you know what, hell's a bad word. That's not a good thing. You know, theologically, that's not a proper thing to be saying at a time like this. Instead of just going, hey, praise the Lord. He was once blind, now he could see, he was dead, he's alive. God will t- do, do a work in his life. God will bring him along at his, at his pace. As he gets in the word of God, God will change his heart. God will help him to see the truth. Let's get excited about changed lives. Let's get excited about people that were dead that now are alive instead of people that are alive that appear to be dead that aren't going anywhere. And wake that person up next to you and share what I just shared with you. It's exciting stuff. See, Paul made it clear that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And the reason he wasn't ashamed was that he gave us four reasons. Reasons number one. Why? Because of the origin of the gospel because of the origin of the gospel and what that means is that Paul understood the message he was to deliver did not come from man but it came from God the gospel is from and about the very Son of God this wasn't Paul's message this wasn't his idea this wasn't his philosophy this wasn't how I think you could get right with God and maybe how I think a person gets to go to heaven or how I think maybe this or that hey it wasn't his idea he went to proclaim a message that came from God it's the gospel of God he says in Romans 1 1 he says it's concerning his son Jesus Christ it centers around him and points to him it was foretold by the prophets and the scriptures and the word of God it was God's plan from the very beginning before he even created man it was God's plan that this was how man would be reconciled with God it was God's message not his message so he can say I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's not my idea it's not my plan it's God's plan it's his idea and in fact turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where he shared the same thing with the people in the city of Corinth 1st Corinthians 1 look at verse 18 <coughs> saying that hey you know what this isn't my idea I'm not ashamed of this, and I'm not going to get hung up about it, because you know why? I'm just sharing what God has revealed to me. And I will share what God has revealed to me to you. And therefore, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And here's why. 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. It says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom didn't even come to know him, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. See, this section of scripture contrasts the power of God versus the weakness of man's wisdom notice the two the power of god versus the weakness of man's wisdom the key idea uh, that paul expresses is that we dare not mix man's wisdom with god's revealed message he can never get the two confused don't ever mix god's message that he has revealed with man's wisdom because the two don't line up this is god's plan this is his idea and he says that there are three basic three responses to this message of jesus christ what is the gospel 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, this is the gospel message. Gospel means good news. What is the good news that Paul was sent to declare to the Romans that he's also now declaring to the Corinthians? The good news is this, that God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous, no, not one. So in essence, to personalize it, the good news is this. That God sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins on the cross. Three days later, he arose from the dead. Showing that he can conquer death and offer forgiveness of sin. Jesus at one point asked those who were questioning him, What is easier to do? Say that your sins are forgiven or for this man to pick up and walk who had never walked. And they obviously answered, it's easier to say something than to do something. So what he did was, he told the man who had not walked to stand up and walk, and he was healed. And the point that he was making was this. If it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, and it's harder to raise a person up that's never walked, I will raise him up to demonstrate that not only I have the power over physical infirmity, but I also have the ability to say, if I tell you your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven what is easier to do say to a person who is dead rise up from the dead or your sins are forgiven well it's easier to say your sins are forgiven but to show that god gave jesus christ the ability and the power to forgive sin he rose him also from the dead so the gospel the good news is this that god loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son jesus christ into the world to die for our sins he rose him up three days later And he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God where one day he will come from that position to judge the living and the dead and establish his kingdom and there will be no end. That's the good news. Now, it's only good news for those who believe. See, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. What? For those who believe. Not carte blanche for everybody, but only those who believe. So he says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the origin of the gospel comes from God It's not from me as a man trying to persuade you. My uh, my, uh, confidence isn't in my ability to persuade you. My confidence is in the object of my confidence, which is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. So he says, therefore, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, to the world, it's foolishness. Look at the uh, the responses. He says, first of all, in verse 24, or I'm sorry, in uh, verse 23, to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. Why was the cross a stumbling block to the Jews? Because they believed that God would send the Messiah into the world, a Savior into the world, to save their nation, their, the oppression that they were going under. For, for generations and generations, they were oppressed by every nation in the world just about. They were looking for God's Messiah to save them and what? To set them free from, a, from oppression from the enemy. They were enslaved to Rome, for example, at this point, and they were looking for Messiah to set them free so they would be free men and not slaves. That's who they were looking for. And that when he came, he would establish his kingdom on this earth and his kingdom would have no end. And they knew once Messiah came that he would usher in a kingdom where they would rule with him for eternity. That's why they were excited. Why did they stumble? Well, because Jesus didn't fit the profile that they had in their own mind. Not the profile of Scripture, because if they read the scriptures they realized that the messiah would come and he would suffer psalm 22 isaiah 53 isaiah 55 all they had to do was read the word of god and saw that you know what man in psalm 22 there's talk there's talk that the messiah would suffer crucifixion 800 years before rome came into power 800 years before anybody heard of crucifixion it's in detail force in psalm 22 if they had just read the scripture they would have realized that yeah although this isn't how we would do it That's how God chose to do it. We've got to accept His plan and not our ideas. See, what's the problem with man? We all got ideas of how God should do things, but there's one thing that we need to recognize and understand. He's God. We're not. But they stumbled over the cross. Why? Because it didn't make sense to them, even though it was clearly revealed in the Word. Now, to the Gentiles, it was just stupid. To the Greeks, look at it, it was just stupid says so to the jews it was a stumbling block well we don't understand how messiah is going to be crucified That doesn't make any sense to us and we're kind of stumbling tripping over the cross but to the gentiles it's what it's foolishness think about that when you and i go to share somebody with someone that guess what you're a sinner but god loves you and the only way you can get right with god is to believe that god sent his son jesus christ to die on the cross the world we live in goes like this how can someone dying on the cross two thousand years ago me believe in that, make me right with God. That doesn't make sense. Because what makes sense to me is that I've got to live a certain type of life. I've got to behave a certain type of way, because if I was God, I would base everything on behavior. Not on belief. Based on behavior. Behavior. You give so much money, you give up certain things, you do certain stuff, whatever it is, whatever the behavior you think that you would have if you were God that you would accept, that's what you believe. So we struggle with, how in the world can someone die on the cross if I believe that? Make me right with God. Let me give you an illustration of something that will help you understand, I hope, because it certainly helps me understand that's this. Today, if you were bit by a deadly snake, And we're told that the only way to be saved from death was to look at a stick with a bronze serpent attached to it and believe that you'd be healed and you'd be healed. Now that sounds like common medical practice today. (laughs) Huh? You're bit by a deadly snake. You're going to die. The only way that you can be healed from that bite is I'm going to hold a stick here with the bronze serpent on it and I'm going to hold it up in the air and you're going to look at it and you're going to believe that that will heal you you would think that's the dumbest thing I ever heard that's just not sound medical practice turn with me to Numbers back in the Old Testament chapter 21 Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 21 this is good stuff This is worth the price of admission. Some people are going, do I got to pay to get in here? Never paid anything. Numbers 21 verse 4. Look at this. Then speaking of Israel, they set out the Israelites, they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the people became impatient because of the journey. Now I just want you to notice something about these people. They just had a huge victory that God delivered them again from another enemy. And now they're going to have to make a little longer trip than they want to make. And they start mumbling, groaning, complaining. And once again, they find themselves just upset with the way God does his stuff. It says, and the people spoke against God and Moses, which is another way of saying they were in rebellion. Just like when our kids talk back to us, they're in rebellion. They're in rebellion again. God says, okay, this is the way you're going to go. And they started mumbling and groaning. Isn't there another way to do this? Isn't there a quicker way to get there? I mean, God, I mean, what does everything have to be so hard with you all the time? It says, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water, and we loathe this miserable food. They start moaning and groaning again. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people, so that many of the people of Israel died. Wow, can you imagine them doing that again today? Yeah, a lot less people here this morning, I know that. So the people came to Moses and said, uh, we have sinned. Because we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord, and he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery or bronze serpent, and set it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent... He lived. Now you and I are going, that doesn't make any sense. The wisdom of the world and science and all the great minds that we have combined would get together and they'd say, you know what, that can't happen. But it did. And I know that it not only did, but Jesus used it as an illustration in John chapter 3. Look how these tie together. This is the wonderful thing of Bible study. In John chapter 3, notice the tie-in, starting with verse 14. Notice this. Jesus speaking. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life is this good see for God didn't send the son of the world to judge the world but that through the world should be saved but the world should be saved through him Moses said look to the serpent on the stick and you'll be healed Jesus says the word of God says look to Jesus on the cross and you'll be healed he who believes in him is not judged he who does not Has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light and his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Isn't that great? Look at a snake on a stick and you'll be healed. Jesus said even so the son of man will be lifted up and if you look upon him on the cross and you believe that he died in your place and you believe what God claims about him that he is God in human flesh who came to suffer and die a a nasty and shameful disgraceful death that if you believe on him that you too will be healed by his stripes speaking of when he was whipped and scourged by his stripes Isaiah 53 tells us that's God's plan say but that doesn't make sense to who to the wisdom of the world it doesn't but god had already told us he was going to turn the wisdom of the world upside down with his plan he says where's the debater where's the scribe where's the philosopher where's all the wisdom of the world god is saying this that man in his great wisdom and not that man isn't wise because man can do tremendous things i mean you look around and you see the technological advancements and accomplishments and, and space shuttles and satellites and medicine and all those things man is wise but man's wisdom has never led him closer to God. In fact, man's wisdom takes him further and further from God because the wisdom of the world is foolishness in the sight of God. God's message is very simple. It's simple and it's not complex. God loves people. People are sinful. They're separated from God. The only way that people will be reconciled with God is that they believe what God did for them by sending Christ to die on the cross. He rose from the dead. That's the power of the gospel. That's why he's not ashamed. The origin of the message comes from God Himself. It's not man's messages. We have nothing to be shamed ashamed about. We have nothing to to, to shrink away in timidity about. We have everything that we need to reach people with the the gospel. Because it is the power of God. You see, that's the problem today. We're so timid, we're so shy, and we're not confident, we're not bold, because somehow or another along the line we've come to believe that this is like our idea. This isn't our idea. Think about it. Does it make any sense to put the blood of an unblemished lamb on the doorpost of a house so that the people in that home would escape the judgment of God and their young and their firstborn would not die? The, the, the God told Israel to do that. It's called Passover. If you put the blood of an unblemished lamb on the doorpost of your house, the death angel will pass over your house and go to the next one who doesn't listen to the word of God. Does that make sense? No. But is that the way it is? Yes. Modern illustration today, does it make any sense that two people in a heterosexual monogamous marriage that have sexual relations are not in any way in danger of any sexually transmitted diseases? Even though the physical act that they do is no different than the physical act that someone else may do outside of marriage, they're in a danger category and within marriage, we're not. Does that make sense? Not to scientists! Not to geniuses in this world it doesn't, but to we who believe the word of God and understand the protection of God. And what God says goes, it makes sense to us, even though we don't understand how it works. Does it make sense how a man can be swallowed by a whale and then spit out three days later? No, it doesn't make any sense. But is that what the word of God says happened? Yeah. In fact, Jesus validated it when he said, just as Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days, so the Son of Man would be in the ground for three days. And after three days, he'll rise again. It seems like everything God does is to help us point to the cross. The fiery serpents wasn't just something that happened then and God went, gee, I think I'll use it to illustrate the cross. The cross is the central theme of the Word of God. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, when Paul went to Corinth, He preached Jesus. He preached Jesus, the Christ crucified. To the Jews, it stumbled them. To the Greeks, they thought it was stupid. But to those who believe, they experience the very power of God. I know a place, a wonderful place, where the accused and the condemned find mercy and grace. we not just sing that this morning? The operation of the gospel is the second reason that he had confidence. And it's a reason that you and I should be confident. Why be ashamed of power? Think about it. You know what? I mean, Rome, Rome was all about power. The Greeks were about wisdom and philosophy and thinking deeply. Rome was just about kicking butt. That was New Living Translation. I mean, they were just into power. That's what they were all about. They wanted something, they took it. You didn't like it, try to stop them. They crushed you. They were into power. They understood power. Why should we be ashamed of the gospel? It's the power of God. It's the power of God. The Greek word here is dynamis, from which we get uh, English words such as dynamite and dynamic. I love that. The idea here is that the gospel does not just contain the power of God, but it is the power of God. When you and I open the word of God and we show and, and share with others what God has to say in his word, when we share the truth of the gospel, that God loves people, that he sent Jesus to die for them, that they're separated because of their sin, and the only way they'll be reconciled is by believing in what Jesus did in their place on the cross. When we share that truth with them, you know what it's like? It's like dynamite exploding in their very soul. So why in the world has the church gone to programs to try to reach people for Christ? There's no power in programs. No one will ever come to know Christ through programs. The powers in the gospel. The good news. He preached Christ and him crucified. To those who heard it, they thought it was foolishness. To Paul, who experienced the power of God in his own life, it was dynamite! It was dynamic! There was nothing to be ashamed of. We don't have to try to trick people. We don't need mirrors. We don't need, we, we need smoke and mirrors. Try to get people to buy into something. We need to just preach the gospel. Proclaim the truth of the word of God open up the word of God just tell people like it is will it make sense to them hey to those who are perishing it's foolishness but it just indicates that they're perishing that's why they think it's foolish to we who believe that's the power of God it's changed our lives it's dynamic when I came to Christ when I gave my life to him when I asked him to forgive me of my sins and believe he died on the cross in my place and that was 22 years ago my life exploded Jesus did in one minute of time what people have been trying to do all my life to get me to be different than what I was. And they couldn't succeed. But Jesus Christ, in one moment in time, changed my life forever. It's dynamic. It's dynamite. It's explosive. It's truth. And truth sets people free from their sin. Why are we so determined to come up with something new? Something fancy. Something different. Well, we've got the Word of God, the power of God Himself, the living and active Word of God, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, pierce people right where they are. God help us. We need to all repent and just go back to the simple message of Christ and Him crucified because that is the power of God. Paul was confident because his own life had been radically transformed by the gospel of Christ. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who even lives, but Christ who lives within me. the life I now live in the flesh, I live by my faith in the Son of God, who loved me and He gave Himself up for me. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away, all things become new. He said, you know what, forgetting what lies behind all the things I thought were important in my life, all the things I thought would make me right with God, all those stupid wisdom things of man were foolishness to God because God's wisdom is the cross of Christ. And when I came to the cross, then my life was changed and I forget now what lies behind and I press on to what lies ahead in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. He knew what it meant to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The outcome of the gospel is salvation. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. The word salvation was a wonderful word. Redemption or salvation, it carried with it the idea of deliverance. And when you're speaking to 60 million people who are enslaved to another, to another uh, group of people, and you talk about that Jesus Christ will deliver them, they listened. They understood what it meant to be delivered from the oppressor. But in a spiritual way, Jesus Christ came to deliver us from what? From the power of sin and death in our life. Oh, death, where's your power? Oh, death, where's your sting? There is no power anymore. There is no sting anymore for those who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, read that great section on the power of the resurrection. Paul said it again. He said, I, I don't care about knowing anything else but the power of his resurrection. There's no more sting. There's no more victory and death. We don't have to be afraid to die. God's people aren't afraid to die. You know why? Because absent from the body, we'll be present with the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Paul would tell the people at at, at Philippi, he said, Man, I'm torn between two worlds. I want to be here because I want to encourage you in the truth of the word of God that will set you free from the oppression of the sin in your life and from your fear of death and fear of dying and not knowing when you die what will happen to you. I want to be there to share that with you. But on the other hand, if they kill me, that's good stuff too. Because after from the body, I'll be present with the Lord. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm torn between two worlds. And every one of us as God's people should be torn the same way. I want to stay here for the work that God has called me to do, has planned for me before the foundation of the world for me to accomplish and for you to accomplish. I saw a cartoon not too long ago. It says that you know God has planned for us to do certain things in this lifetime. And at the rate I'm going, I'll never die. Well, I say, get busy, brother. Get busy. But many of us are like that. God, if you call me to do certain things and prepare beforehand for me to do them and I haven't done anything yet, wow, I better get busy. Absolutely. See, the outcome of the gospel is salvation. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you shall be saved. You will never be saved believing in some man's program. There's a whole bunch of religions and philosophies in the world. All you got to do is take a religious class, religion class in college just to make you nuts. Or a philosophy class to see how just the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And all you've got to do is share the truth of the gospel. There's only one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's God's plan. Everything centers around Him. And you know what you have? The open-mindedness of men will say, that's too narrow-minded. You need to look into other things. You need to search in other ways. You need to look to the wisdom of man because the cross is such foolishness to all of us who are so intelligent. But I say this, if it means to be intelligent and have the wisdom of the world and miss the kingdom of God, then God call me ignorant because I'd rather know Christ and Him crucified and the power of His resurrection than all the wisdom of the world put into one. Because that wisdom isn't getting anybody any closer to God, is it? In fact, the wisdom of man just makes people go further and further from the truth. It's about Jesus and him crucified. And the last thing is this. He is confident because of the outreach of the gospel. The outreach of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. To all who believe. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. But the point that he's making is this. The outreach of the gospel is not limited to certain people groups. To young, to old. To rich, to poor. To accomplish, to those who haven't accomplished much in the world's eyes. To women and to men. To children. To black and to white. And all the other racial groups. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him. The outreach of the gospel is to all people. Sometimes you ever feel like, you know what, I I don't think I can reach this person. What do I have in common with this person? You know what, what you have in common with that person is that they're a sinner just like you. They're lost just like you were. And what they need to know is that God loved them and sent Christ to die for them. Because I'll tell you this, I don't care if you're young, you're old, you're rich, you're poor, you're black, you're white, you're a woman, you're a man. It doesn't take long before somebody can point out to you that you're a sinner. That you've fallen short of the glory of God. That you don't uphold the standards of God. That whether you stole a piece of bubble gum and you're six years old or whether you've been cheating on your income tax for 40 years and you're 60 years old. You're guilty before God. And the only remedy is that you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The outreach of the gospel was for everybody. Isn't that wonderful to know? There's not a person who's excluded from the truth of the gospel. And so Paul was so confident and he was so bold. Because he realized the origin of the gospel or the message is from God and even though it's foolishness to the world and it's stumbling block to Jews, to those who believe, they'll experience the power of God unto salvation. Why should you and I be ashamed of the gospel? I'll tell you this, if you've come to faith in Christ and Jesus Christ has changed your life, you don't have to know much else about theology to tell people about that. You don't have to have any theological degrees you don't have to answer questions on evolution versus creationism you don't have to answer questions on how old the earth is or how old man is or any of those things that people try to stumble you up hey because you know what all i'm here to tell you is this that i was a sinner i knew i was a sinner i knew i was on my way to hell and i believe what god said he sent christ to die for my sins i invited him into my life and my life has changed and i can't explain it any better than that I stand here today because 22 years ago this past week, I knew because God revealed to me that I was a sinner before God. And I believed what he said about Jesus Christ. That if I would believe on him, that I would not perish but have everlasting life. My life was radically changed. I became a new creature in Christ. I, didn't, I, didn't even, I had never read the Bible before I gave my life to Christ but the word of God was shared with me and the word of God is by the word of God that we have faith and faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. It was only after I began to study and read the Bible that I realized and, and began to understand all the truths that were there. But at the time I gave my life to Christ, I didn't know anything but this, that I am a sinner and that Jesus was sent to die on the cross in my place, that if I believed him, I would find forgiveness before God. I would be a child of God because I believed on Him. I looked upon Him like they looked upon that snake on a stick and they were healed. Why? Because that's God's plan. We can be confident because of the origin of the gospel, the operation of the gospel, it's the power of God. It's dynamite. Let us not set aside the Word of God for the plans of man, the programs of man, the ideas of man. We are here to proclaim truth and truth comes from the Word of God because the word of God is power it's dynamic it's dynamite it's explosive it changes the human heart it makes a dead person alive in Christ it makes a sinner now find forgiveness and mercy the outcome of the gospel is salvation there's no other name by which man can be saved and finally the outreach of the gospel is to every person that God brings in contact with you and me throughout the course of our life man there's a reason he wasn't ashamed that's the four reasons that he was confident, four reasons you and I need to be confident, and one last passage I want to, I want you to look at in closing is this. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. As Paul, writing to a young man who had just come to know Christ, encourages him in his walk with Christ. <coughs> in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's start with uh, verse 6. Paul was talking to a young man who had just come to Christ. He had come to realize he was a sinner. He had given his life to Jesus Christ. And he was born again. And he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. We're not to be ashamed of our faith. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. It's the power of God unto salvation. Don't be timid. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Why? Because when you're confident, the world is drawn to you. We see it everywhere in life. Why not as believers to be confident in our Lord? Notice what he says. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has granted us in Christ Jesus for all eternity. Notice we says, God never asks us to, what? Behave in order to be right with God. He asks us to believe. And behavior will follow belief. But we will never behave our way into heaven. We can only believe our way into heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. And behavior then is a part of what we've already d- done as far as belief. He says, but now has been revealed by the appearing of Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death, brought life, immortality to life through the gospel. For I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Notice this in closing. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed. Men and women, you will never be right with God by believing in doctrine, believing in some type of system, believing in some plan of man or some program. The only way you and I will ever be right with God is, as he said, for I know in whom I have believed. In whom I have believed, he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I know in whom I believe. I know who He is, He's Savior, He's Messiah. There's no other name under heaven or authority by which man can be saved than Jesus Himself. I know in whom I have believed. Not what or where you go to church or what you've read, but in whom you believe. He says, and I believe and I am convinced that He is able to guard which I've entrusted to Him until that day. What did He entrusted to Him? His very life, His very eternity. When you and I believe in Jesus Christ, we are entrusting to him our very soul, our very eternity. Lord, you can protect me. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. When we're faithless, he's faithful. I've entrusted myself to him. And he will guard us against what? The day of judgment where Jesus Christ will come back and he will judge the living and the dead. And God has given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess of those who are on earth and in heaven and everywhere that he is Lord to the glory of God. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Do you know on whom you have believed? If you have, then you should be confident, not ashamed, boldly proclaiming the gospel because it's God's dynamite package to change the heart of a dead person spiritually and make him alive. And that's good stuff. And that's why he wasn't ashamed. And that's why he couldn't wait to get to Rome, to turn that place upside down like he did in Corinth, and he did in Ephesus, and he did in Galatia, and he did everywhere that he went because the power of God turned people into living creatures who then turned into servants who went about sharing the gospel with those who would believe. Wow, that's good stuff. Where do we start to apply this? How about number one, if you've never come to faith in Christ and you don't know in whom you believe, You need to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Your behavior will never get you into heaven. In fact, your behavior is what will indict you before God. You are a sinner guilty before God. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. For those who have trusted in Christ, why are we ashamed of the gospel? If my life's been changed by the gospel and your life's been changed by the gospel, can't you believe that anybody you come in contact with, that their life will be transformed by the power of the resurrected Savior? Let's get busy. We need to redeem the time wisely. We don't know if this will be the last day we have. Let's go out on top. Let's be confident in our Savior in whom we believe. Father, we're just grateful. We're grateful for your word. We're just grateful for the power of the word, the living and active and sharper than edgy and two-edged sword of the word of God that penetrates the hearts of man, that gives life to those who believe. God, we know it doesn't make sense from man's wisdom that you would choose to send Christ to die on the cross doesn't make any more sense that you put a, a, a bronze serpent on a stick for those who are bitten by snakes and say to turn and look to that. But we know in both cases that those who believed your word, those who trusted your word, those who turned and looked to the serpent on the stick and those who looked to Jesus on the cross, that you tell us that we will be saved. We are saved at that moment in time. we we'll continue to be saved and we will one day be fully redeemed as we're in your presence. God, we want to be like the Apostle Paul whose life was radically transformed and changed. That we're not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. It's dynamite to those who believe. The outreach is to all, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But anybody that you bring in our contact with us, that we would just share the simple truth and the love of the gospel. That we have preached Christ and Him crucified. And all God's people said. Amen.